It is hard to believe there's only 72 days left in this year. For many of us, 2020 has been quite the challenge, not just with the pandemic, not just with businesses closing down, but more specifically with our lack of fitness and the lack of interest in our nutrition plans. For a long time, I let myself slide and probably just like me, you've let your nutrition go. Maybe you're back at the box, but man, this nutrition is hard to get reeled back in. Well, we've got a solution for you. Own Your Eating has two new challenges starting on November 2nd. And with Halloween around the corner, you're going to have all this candy at home. Who knows what's going to happen, whether there will be trick-or-treaters or whether there won't be. But once that Halloween candy goes on sale, it's hard to resist. So what we're telling you is our new challenges start November 2nd, which means you can start signing up as early as this week. And these challenges are so different than your standard challenge because instead of putting the pressure on yourself to drop 10 pounds in 30 days, what if you just use this challenge as a jumping off point to get a better handle on your nutrition, especially as Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, the new year start to roll in. You can educate yourself with daily content from me, from Roz, from the Own Your Eating team, and gradually improve your behavioral awareness around food. All of a sudden, dialing in your nutrition doesn't sound so daunting. We firmly believe that it's important to just take each day as it comes. And if one day doesn't go so well, no big deal. You haven't failed. Just get back at it tomorrow. You'll get support from me. You'll get support from Roz. And you'll get support from our amazing groups. And the truth is, we run these challenges regularly. No one's ever perfect but everyone still gets great results. You have to drop your expectations about outcomes and stop pinning all of your hopes on the outcomes. That's not what drives results. It's actually what ruins them. Focusing on behavioral changes one at a time and becoming consistent with that habit is actually what drives the results. On your eating is all about mindset. It's not cookie cutter. It's not you have to be perfect. It's not crazy nutrient timing, carb this, protein that. It's small habitual changes that make for long lasting, sustainable results. And that's exactly what these challenges are all about. We actually have two challenges out there. We've got our 30 day transformation challenge, and we've also got our get lean challenge. It really just depends on where you are on your macro journey, but both challenges will help give you assistance with determining your macros, You'll get a private supervised Facebook group, video education, ebook, meal planning templates, daily workouts, daily motivational content, and daily education from both me and Roz. So if you're interested in regaining control of your nutrition, you can click on the link. I'll provide it in the show notes. It's a little bit long, but it's app.sugarwad.com forward slash marketplace forward slash own your eating. I know that's a little lengthy, so I'll put it in the show notes if you're interested. And if you use the code best hour, B-E-S-T-H-O-U-R, best hour, all caps, you'll save 10%. Of course, if you have any questions, you can DM me at best hour of their day. You can email me best hour of their day at gmail.com. But here's the deal. This works. You just have to do it, but we're here to support you. And it's not too late to still make 2020 great as far as your nutrition goes. So let's get it dialed in, enjoy the challenge and make some long lasting sustainable changes.
question. <laughs> Do you ever think you're going to be taller than you are now? You know, about a year ago, I just kind of realized, hey, this is it. Is, you it, know, is, it kind, is it kind of like when my dad tells me, he's like, hey, if you just keep shaving your face, your facial, your facial hair will grow in better. And I'm like, I don't think that is going to work anymore at this point. Yeah, I still try to hang from a bar for about five minutes a day, just in case you never know. But I, I mean, it worked for Michael Jordan. Did he hang from a bar? Is that true? Yeah, he used to do that when he was growing up. That's not, I, have, I am fully confident that is not why he ended up being 6'6", but you never know. I, I will say, I think I've told you this story before. It wasn't until very recently that I realized how short I am. And I, I know that- I think it's a good thing. Yeah, that comes off as like crazy, but it's, I think it's a few things. I think one, my family's pretty short. So it wasn't like walking around a foot shorter than you know, my mom or father. And two, I think when you play a sport or compete in a sport like wrestling, where you're just competing against people of your size, like you realize there's heavyweights, but you also realize there's small people. So it's not like you're I feel, unique. I feel the opposite, actually, because I never, I was legit. I'm not, I mean, I'm not short as far as an average guy walking around, but in college basketball, I'm you basically. You know, I'm the shortest person on every roster, but I never looked at it this way, that way. I, I just had a position. We were there to play and I never really saw myself as short. And I also never really saw really tall guys as really tall. I would only notice how tall they were when we went places and we, if we like were in the airport and stuff like that, and people would be looking at them. I'm like, God, you really are freakishly tall, but you're just defining average height right now. Like, yeah, some people are shorter than you, some are taller. Like, I'm very low on the spectrum of height. I mean, I'm like the... What are you, 5'4"? Five, 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 I mean, I'd say that, five, but five, I'm two. technically 5'3". And last time I got <laughs> measured, I was 5'2". But I think the difference is, like you're saying, you realize you're average, potentially below average, because your sport, you're, you're literally on a court with nine other people taller than you. Probably the refs as well, you know, so more. When I would, my competition was like, hey, that guy's your the weight. The same size, right, yeah, like, yeah, because you have to you fight. You were just this. like, there's other people that, that are your height. I mean, granted, I remember there was a team when I was growing up that one of those was a little person, like a real little person. Does it, is it weird to think that you're only three inches off from being a little person, from being, no, from being short-statured? That's, that's what finally <laughs> opened my eyes to this. So remember about, it's probably going on a year ago now, there was this incident on Long Island, New York, with this guy named Bagel. I think it was Bagel. Uh, yeah, the guy who lost his shit in the bagel store. Right. So, yeah. so he's losing his shit. And, and one of the things he kept saying was like, you don't respect me or women don't like me because I'm 4'11". Like he, that was like his story. Yeah. He was an angry dude. And, and everybody that was covering it would say things like, well, he grew up small and, you know, so he's been treated. And I was like, wait a second, that's only three inches from me. I was like, wow, that, that's truly what opened my eyes to it. And then also like becoming friendly with the adaptive community, you know, like yeah. we've, we've had them on the show and, some of those small stature guys we've had we've interviewed and yeah like you said you realize if i'm truly five two and a half i'm 2.6 inches away 
from being from able getting to see... from getting a handicap pass so you can cl park closer in the airport. Wow, that's I hadn't even thought about that. Now you're making me think how do I shrink? <laughs> <laughs> but also, I feel like I can win the, the uh, short stature division at Wadapalooza next year. I mean, I will gladly figure out how to compress your spine just to give you a shot. We've had uh, Mikey Swoosh on this podcast who goes by World's Fittest Dwarf, and he's freakishly strong. Yeah. But I feel like my gymnastics like would be better than his. So it'd be a so solid competition. Well, yeah, but I mean that you're a, you're a CrossFitter. So now, uh, for anybody listening, that question has absolutely nothing to do with the topic of today's show. But I thought it was a good lead-in. Uh, but I do I do actually have a serious question for you. And the question is, what do you think is the number one problem that affiliates deal with? Hmm. I really, I, I think having spoken to dozens of affiliates, probably more, and recently hearing about it from a couple of the affiliates that we've worked with, the issue they have that they struggle with is not understanding their demographic. I, I would agree. And so, and this is where I think, this is where I think this this problem kind of either gets misidentified or misinterpreted. So I would agree with what you're saying. Where I think a lot of people's brain just went was they don't know how to sell to people, right? So you're like, I don't, I haven't identified my demographic, so therefore I can't sell. That's and not what I'm, that's not what I'm I know, saying. No, I know that's not what you're saying, but I'm saying there's a lot of people who hear you say that and I'm saying this as somebody who has, a, has misinterpreted that myself in the past. And what the real problem is, I have not identified, and I've, and I've gone through this myself as an affiliate owner and a business. I thought the issue was sales. Now, I did have a problem with sales, but that was not the underlying problem. That was a secondary tertiary problem as a result of not understanding who my demographic was and what it was that I was doing. And that I think is the number one and least identified problem within the affiliate community. Yeah, I, you know, and what I meant by that is affiliates wanna serve everybody, meaning I wanna be able to have my competitors, you know, and we talk about this with CrossFit, yes, Competitors can be in the same class as Sally, you know, who's 70 years old and scaling everything. And I think that's okay to strive to have a very large and variety of people, but it has to start with knowing precisely who your demographic is. And, and more specifically, I guess the way to put it would be, who are you serving? Right. And, I, and again, I really want people to not veer off because this is typically where it goes. As we're having this conversation, do not, every time you veer off and you start thinking about avatars and, and marketing and copywriting, come back because it's not worth talking about it. That is a thing that you need to do, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the precursor exercise to everything, literally everything, which is like, what do I want to do and who are the people that I want to work with? And I mean, I don't mean like, who are the people you're going to have a conversation with on an Instagram thread? I'm talking about like, no shit. What is the person... What do they look like? What do they do for a living? Like all these things, figuring out like, what is the type of person that I want to work with? And I, I like to, 
it's harder in a business, right? But if you if we were to talk about this in different terms, uh, if you've ever been on a sports team, right? It's a bit, the exercise is easier because it's just a little bit more tangible. But so think about everybody knows pretty much everybody knows who the dream team is, right? The USA dream team, right? So Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, uh, Clyde Drexler, who else? Christian Leitner, so, John Stockton, all these people, right? Like, did you watch the last dance? How Isaiah Thomas wasn't selected to the dream team, right? He was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so the argument is, was he an asshole or was Jordan an asshole? Well, no, I think collectively there's a lot of people in the NBA that have, and I don't know, I don't know Isaiah Thomas, but the the general consensus is a lot of people had issues with Isaiah Thomas. Well, he was on the Pistons and they were known to be kind of right. rough and beat people up. But, but, anyway. the point, but the point of that is that if you were to pick your dream team for whatever sport that you are, that's the same exercise that you should do for the clients that you serve and what you want to be doing. Right. It's just like, Hey, what kind of, uh, what kind of big forward or, you know, like power forward do I want? What kind of shooting guard do I want? What kind of point guard? They're going to, they're going to look like this. They're going to have these skill sets. They're going to have this mindset. They're going to have this, they're going to have these character traits. Like those are the things that we want to identify because now what I can do is I can start to really, really do all of the other things that we were talking about before, which is like, you can start to do copywriting and stuff like that. I can start to put together my membership packages. I can start to develop my class structure. I can start to develop my logo. Like all of these things come post figuring out who is your demographic, right? Who are the people that I want to serve? Um, and we were recently talking to somebody who I was, we were having a brief conversation about like figuring out what you want and, and who you want to serve. And he made the mistake that, that I made in the past, which is to just start talking about all the things that he wants. You know, it's just like, I want to run classes like this and this is how we want to do it. And I stopped him and I was like, Hey, you need to redo that exercise because everything you just stated is about you. This needs to be about somebody specific who is not you right? Because we tend to project all of our own feelings onto other people when we do this. So when you go through this, trying to identify who your demographic is, think about like, what would they do for a living? Uh, you could even go so far as like how much money they make, like, what are their spending tendencies? Like, what do they do with their free time? Like, all these things matter, you know, like, do they have a large circle of friends? You know, all of these things, like, what is their athletic background? Or what is their just general kind of lifestyle or their life led up to their, are they people that, you know, have been working in the same job, like to grind it out and like very, very consistent in their personality traits, or are they somebody that's very flighty and they like to hop from job to job, to job, to job, to job, you know, just based on those two things, most people would identify with one of those pretty quickly with the person that they want to serve in a brick and mortar that would comprise the bulk of their customer base. Yeah, I think you have to expand beyond just the idea of what type of CrossFitter you want. And, and really, by looking at all these other things, such as their jobs, their financial income, their family, etc., you're probably going to pinpoint a specific type of CrossFitter because it's going to be, oh, it turns out I like that 35 to 44-year-old demographic because they're kind of settled down, they have two children, 
et cetera, and those aren't going to be your competitors. Now, with this I, all being said, what's that? When I went, th- when I went through, I, nothing with regard to mine says anything about CrossFit. I don't care what kind of CrossFit they are. I'm going to teach them how to CrossFit. Well, and with that being said, that doesn't mean if someone walks in and they're not your demographic, you say no, you turn them away. But the point is, it gives you, you a... You could, but I think one of two things are going to happen. They're either going to assimilate to that. And you see youngsters that kind of become like the young kid at the box that the older people love. Or they're going to realize, hey, this is not really my crowd and I need to find a box that does have a younger demographic. But but bigger picture, like you're suggesting, is it really helps you fine-tune everything else. You know, again... Well, it helps... It helps you create filters too, so that you don't have to tell people no. Well, yeah, but we talked about it on the on yesterday's episode where, you know, we said you know everybody puts marketing first, and you're you're wasting your time, your money, and your energy if you're just blanketly throwing out there like, hey, who wants to try a free CrossFit class? You know, so let's let's run with this demographic that 35 to 44 year olds. We're both in there. Well, you know. Then you can think of like, what would I want to hear? All right, guys, you know, if, if you're looking to get the best workout of your life and be in and out of the bo- or gym, I would say, within an hour and home to your family, this is the place for you. You know, versus, you know, hey, do you want to get your butt kicked, wake up sore and have a six pack? You know, some 50-year-old woman doesn't care about that. Right. She likes the idea of, wait, in an hour, I can get in the great shape of my life three times a week and you know, you're going to teach me a little bit about how to eat right. And I have a place that I can drop my kids off. Now, all of a sudden, sign me up. Right. Or, you know, and just to give more examples, or it could be type of people like looking for people that want to invest in their health so that they can have larger impacts on their community. So when I start talking about these kind of traits, about people that legitimately have a desire to invest in themselves, now that's my demographic. Right. So, and, and ours is outlined and I, and I'm, I'm not going to give mine not cause it's a secret there. There's nothing, um, super special about ours at CrossFit Rife, but I don't want to influence other people's when they start to do this. Right. Cause typically what happens is, Hey, let me re- let me read yours. And then basically mine just matches yours and it's not actually mine. Um, and I, you know, I went through a pretty extensive process to figure that out. And then it came out very specific, you know, you go through like a long series of questions and, it took me like a week of going through that over and over and over until I finally dialed it in. And then what happens is you quickly start to identify who your clients are and who they're not simply by, by conversation. Like, I don't, we don't even have to talk about Chris CrossFit or fitness or anything, but I could de- identify if they would fall in the bucket of my ideal client, just for me having a five minute conversation just about them in general. And I'll quickly be able to say, you're the type of person I'm looking for or not. Now that doesn't mean they're going to buy, right? It doesn't mean that they're interested, but they have all the characteristics of somebody that I would want inside the walls of my gym. And then my job from there is just to just explain the value, what that we do? Um, because that's typically another hurdle. It was like, what is this CrossFit thing? So I think it's super important. And I'm ashamed to say that, you know, it's probably well over eight years before I really went through and did that. So I went, you know, 80% of my existence as affiliate without identifying that. And it showed. Well, and think about this. I think 
you get that person into your gym for the first time, the sales process is easier because they recognize, hey, this box is filled with people like me. Because I, oh, I, yeah. You know, I've done that where someone in their 60s come in and I have to be like, oh, you see that one person in the corner by themselves? Like, yeah, they're 62. You can do this. Or, oh, you know, there's none in this class, but our 9 a.m. class has, has quite a few people in their 60s. Right. You know, it, it's, it's not the same as like, oh, I actually know that person. We've worked together or we grew up together or, you know, I can tell that they're my age or they see kids running around and they're, they realize, oh, I can bring my kids here. This will make my life, it's going to be so much easier to come in because I can just drop the kids off or there's other people to play with, et cetera. Well, they, they end up all starting to look alike. And when I say look alike, I don't mean physically look alike, right? right? When you start to really unpack people, right? So I'm not talking about like race or any of that other thing. I'm just talking about like, as you start to talk to people and get to know them and get to go a couple layers deep on each one of the people that are like kind of in the walls of, like as you get to through those layers, there's so many similarities, it's crazy. They like, they have similar backgrounds. They have a similar thought process. They have similar values, Right. And that is what you're chasing, not an age demographic, not uh, anything like that. It's like I want people with with similar value structures as I do, because now we're just creating culture, which is really, really important if you're trying to really, really hone in who it is you serve and what you're going to serve them. Like that's the really, really hard part is if I've got if my demographic, you know, let's just go go real tactical here. If my demographic is the 20 to 30 range, I would argue in most places, this is not an absolute, in most places, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to sell premium services, whether it's personal training or individualized programming or, you know, or, you know, some sort of bundle where you have recovery services, because typically they just don't have the income for that. Yeah, and I think if you know that in advance and you realize, hey, that's my demographic, now all of a sudden other things you're doing is determining your membership rate to support that, figuring out, okay, they can't afford these hour recovery bundle that we sell, but they tend to be the ones that buy pre-workout before every class. So let me have some single samples ahead of here or, or or they, you know, love nitro, cold brew. So if I get myself a keg of that, each of them spend $5 a day because they don't think about it the same way as a $100 add-on to their membership. So you can, you know, flip side, you have a 60-year-old community. They need the Normatex, the cryotherapy, the the Theragun room that they're willing to pay a little bit more for or or just have a more expensive membership because they like the fact that classes are capped at 12 you know, they get more attention, so they feel less likely to get injured. Right. And I think, I, man, it's just like so frustrating to think that I didn't do that on the front end. Like that I spent so long just spinning my wheels before I actually went in and did that. I was like, how many people did I fail to help? And the answer is a fucking lot. A lot of people I failed to help because I didn't identify and go through that process on the, on the front end. But that's something we spoke about where we said, you know, we've made all the mistakes, which is exactly why we're suited to teach people. I'm sure had you done that, it would have been beneficial, but I'm also sure without, had you done that from the beginning, 
you know, we wouldn't be so well equipped to help others improve. Well, I think it's kind of like from a coaching standpoint is like, do you want the person who just was strong enough and fit enough to do a muscle up? Or do you want the person who struggled for 18 months doing every single muscle up program and learn all the scaling options and understands how frustrating that can be? I'll take option B like all day long because they're going to help me. They're not going to just cast me to the side because I just can't do what they could do, you know, where they hit a home run on day one because they're just, you know, genetically superior to the rest of us, you know, like that's always the person I'm looking for. Like who's actually been in the mud, you know, you know, kind of like the man in the arena type deal, which is like, who's the guy with all the battle scars that can legitimately be like, yeah, I've been there. I've been there and done that. And not only can I tell you that that's a bad idea, I can tell you exactly why it's a bad idea. Not just like I disagree with it, but I've literally done it. Here was the result. Here's why you should avoid that. Well, and it's a pretty common sentiment amongst coaches that the worst athletes make the best coaches for that reason, right? The ones that had to struggle, the ones that you know didn't get their muscle up on day one are the ones that had to understand the intricacies of it and also understand the frustrations of it. So when you do have someone who just can't get that transition, you know, who just is struggling to keep the rings tight, you understand, you can have empathy. And, and was, that a, was that a soft pitch for you being a great coach? Yeah. I, I talk about it in my book, actually, that you one wrote of a my, book. <laughs> one of my, one I of told the, you guys, we talked about it in the last episode. <laughs> Shameless self-promotion <laughs> is lesson number one. Well, this is a twofold one, right? Shameless self-promotion. But also one of the questions you asked me was, did I ever bring on someone from outside of the box? And mm-hmm. yeah, I brought this guy on and he was a fit dude. He missed going to the games back in like 2010 by one spot. You know, not obviously back then it was a different thing, but he was that fit and he walked in, he had like a three minute fran, he had muscle ups. And I remember watching him try to coach somebody in the muscle up and it was like, what the hell is going on? Cause he just didn't just know do how it, to man. Coach just it. get yeah. up there. Yeah, just grab the, see those ring grab and pull yourself up. It was like that. And the athlete's getting mad. He's getting mad. And I had, I remember the first piece of equipment I bought for CrossFit were, were rings. Um, you know, what kind of rings? I think we've had this conversation, but like, were they, did you ever make a set of rings? Like no, in the <laughs> I, I'm not that talented. I couldn't do that with PVC. <laughs> Hey, listen, we, we will do something for the person who can go back and find that article about making rings in the journal. Oh, yeah. It's in the journal. I told you this, I think it was last year at the, at the CrossFit Games in 2019, Bill Henniger came up to me. He was like, hey, were you body by Jay? And I was like, yeah, why? And he was like, you were like our second order ever. And I, I was like, like, I feel like because of that, we need a sponsorship from Rogue. Well, we'd love to get Bill and Katie to sponsor this, but... Yeah, so I ordered a set of rings that I remember they were like those really hard, solid plastic ones. That like uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a pair of those too. I literally just got rid of them. They chewed up your wrists and yep. so this was before I had the box. I threw them on like a standard squat cage, so they weren't very high. And I was trying to get muscle ups and I was like, I literally thought I'd hang these things up and be able to get muscle ups. Not, just, just simply, just simply from hanging them up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was one of those things where back in the day, you you didn't see people failing muscle ups on CrossFit, right? It was just, oh, those are here's another exercise. Greg Amundsen's doing it. Here's another exercise. You know, 
Nicole Carroll, Eddie Sakamoto, and Eva T are doing them. Like, yeah, cool. That's you, a, Nicole. Yeah, that's an exercise. Oh, if she can do it. I can totally do it. So I put them up there, and it took weeks. And I remember I finally got one. And, you know, and meanwhile, I'm in the Nautilus room of the racquetball facility that I eventually opened. People thought I was a lunatic. Like, what is this guy doing? Screaming, flailing around like a dead fish. Well, I finally got my muscle up. But anyway, the point is, Last I had week, to right? learn that. <laughs> I don't know if I can do one right now, but uh, this is 2006, I could. You should be ashamed of yourself. But anyway, oh. po- point is, because of that, I became a good coach. And I think it is all of the mistakes we've made as an affiliate owner that make us successful as affiliate coaches. Yeah, I just um, – one of the – one of my stipulations when we started to do about this was, um, was that I was going to keep the affiliate. Not that I was ever on the fence about it, but I was, but my kind of like my line in the sand is like, I'm not going to coach affiliates and I may change my mind someday, but I'm not going to coach affiliates if I don't own my affiliate. I just, that probably will change, but not right now. Not for, not for a long time because I don't think we, I don't think collectively we know enough. I don't think we're far enough down the road to be like, this is a, this is a, like, I can give you the full thing, like, with just all the nuts and bolts, because we're all still learning, you know? And there's, and there's if you think about the, the CrossFit world collectively, I personally still think it's in its infancy. Oh, the, affi- sure. the affiliate model, not CrossFit, the methodology, right? And this is where we're start, really starting to, like, pave the way, and we're really starting to get traction on it. And, you know, we've made a ton of mistakes along the way. And it's really cool to see, we're like starting, what, here's what's cool as an affiliate owner. You, you make all these mistakes and then somebody kind of lets you peek behind the curtain of just a little bit of like, hey, these are some things you should actually think about that are wildly important. And then you start to make those changes, which don't actually seem like they should change anything. And then all of a sudden, all the things that you've been trying to accomplish start to come to fruition. And then you can start to see around the bend a little bit. And you're like, oh, shit, like, we're actually going to do this. Like, this is actually going to happen. I'm actually going to run an affiliate that I love to be at, that makes money, that has professionals, and the members love to be there. And I'm like, yeah, that's the dream. Like that is the dream it's to show up every day and walk into a facility. You're like, I fucking love this place. I think that goes back to what we spoke about as well, where one of the biggest mistakes box owners make is starting this thing without the actual goal of being financially lucrative and successful. And mm-hmm. they kind of go hand in hand, right? You can have the most lucrative box in the world, but if you hate your members, you're not going to want to show up. So it, I mean, Sure, if you're making a ton of money, maybe you can look past it. But point is, I think if you you want both, right? It's like, what do you want, technique That's or intensity? That's the goal, right? right? You, exactly. And intensity is kind of the money. The technique is the, I have a community of people. Like, you're a great example. And I think that's why it is important that you keep the box. You, I mean, you're always doing events with your, with your affiliate, with your community. And that's what you want. And that's truly what I had at Albany. I mean, when I sold my boxes, I felt like I lost my, I, not only identity, but just my community, like my crew. And I kept a few of them, but it was, it was truly the place I really enjoyed being, you know, girlfriends at the time, like, why are you going to the gym? You don't have to coach. Like, cause I love being there. 
Yeah, for me, it's always been one of the hallmarks of, of my vision has always been to be kind of the third place for most people. So they've got work, they've got home, and then everybody's got a third place. Everything we do kind of inside the walls with how we design things, the way we do like the, the structure and, and even the, the things that we have like kind of in the vision board that, that, that probably won't come to fruition for two to three years, they're all designed around that. Right. I want it to be the third place where they come in, they feel comfortable, they love being there because of, you know, the aesthetics of the building, the it's clean, the people that are there, the vibe that's going on, they get fucking results. That is all the stuff that goes into this bucket of like the third place, like the kind of thing you'd be like, why wouldn't you go there? Like, where else would you go? That's kind of the thing that I that I'm trying to to dial up in my facility and like the thing that I'm always driving for is that it's like, it's, it'd be almost weird if you didn't join. And, and for many people, it may be their third place, but it's probably their happiest place. That's the goal. You know, like I want them to have other happy places, but, and this is where I disagree with some people. And again, I love Stu, but he, like he thinks, he thinks that's ridiculous. You know, does that, he? like, yeah, he does, which is fine. Right. Like I don't have any beef with Stu, but I don't, I think there's a there's a, a little bit of a flaw in there, and I'd love to flesh this out with him. But I think there's a little bit of a flaw in that in that mindset, because I think by just pushing that aside, inherently you would stop driving towards it, which I think is a mistake. Like whether it what you know whether it is the happiest place or the best hour of their day, um, is kind of irrelevant. You know, like we should still be trying to make it that. And if we can make them happier, healthier, you know, for longer, then maybe what is the best hour of their day here inside my facility, maybe that'll morph over time. But we were still the catalyst for the things that make them happy later, you know. Um, or, for instance, I've got – I have a lady who just came in, and she uh, just retired. She's 55. She is probably wealthy beyond belief. She has – she drove a Bentley here. She came here because she's unhappy. Right? Like, and that sounds insane. I don't think that sounds, I mean, I don't but think kind of, right? But like by, 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 <laughs> she wasn't unhappy with the Bentley, but, <laughs> but she was unhappy because she doesn't, you know, she doesn't feel comfortable, comfortable in her skin. Like she, you know, like she wants to be in better shape and she feels like she is, starting to lose hold of that and i'm like so maybe this will be the best hour of her day right because it's driving towards something that she wants to achieve and again that's the whole purpose it's not that it's actually the best hour of the day it's just it contributes to the best hour of their day or just you know again it's this lever that they can pull on to to do other things in their life um so i think that it's just always important to kind of really kind of step back and be like, who am I, who am I trying to work with here? And not shockingly, I'm getting a lot more people that look like her as I start to help more people that look like her. Right. Well, which is kind which is kind of not by accident, because if I look at it, you know, I spoke it into the ether, which is I want to work with people that kind of fit into this general box. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden that starts to happen. Weird. Well, and one thing we neglect, I think, is the fact that it's okay if you your hour of coaching or your time at the box is the best hour of your day. It and, is, in most instances. Right, and 
let's be honest with, with ourselves and the listeners. Oftentimes this can be an unforgiving job. It's, it's tireless. You, you, you know, you work seven days a week, you work holidays, et cetera. I think the goal is to improve on all of that things we've learned, lessons we've learned and we have done it. But if you're not truly enjoying it, that it's, it's just the most terrible thing. Right. And, and I guess that's probably like a better way to look at it, which is, you know, like, is it, is it the best hour of their day? I don't know. Like I would hope that everybody's best hour of the day is spending time with their loved one or doing something along those lines. Right. But just like, okay, let's remove that one or just replace it with like, they should look forward to it. However, that's not super catchy. Right. So there's branding, you know, number eight, you know, one-on-one everybody like it's not catchy, but that's really what we're talking about is like, they should genuinely look forward to showing up to the box. Like they should look forward to seeing people to having those interactions to walking in the door and all that stuff. And again, if I'm driving towards giving somebody a really great experience or what would be a fantastic hour of their day, then that will probably happen. Well, and I would say this, you know, I do think for many people it is the best hour of their day, but you're right. And I, and I would, I would classify it as this for the, for the listeners, for the coaches, the box owners, it should be the hour of their day that allows everything else to be better. Which in turn kind of makes it the best hour of their day. Exactly. Because you can't appreciate time with your family, your kids. You can't just be happy, you know, when you're sitting at your desk, unless you feel confident and good about yourself and excited about something you've accomplished, or maybe a little bit fearful about what's to come in a workout, you know, something that gives you that for many of us, is, you know, regardless of the demographic could be 20 or it could be 60. There's not a lot in life. that's like, Oh, this is going to be scary. But a 10 rep max back squat is, but a Fran is, you know, right. a hit and Murph is. So it's, it's one of those things that makes you feel alive throughout the rest of your day. And, and the whole point of this, going back to where we started, which is people need to identify who they serve and what they do. You cannot get to the best hour of your day or their day without identifying who the people are that would be involved in that interaction. Like you fundamentally cannot do it. You know, if I, if I have, if I'm spending my time with a bunch of people who have shitty attitudes and don't want to be coached and give me a hard time about membership rates and all these other things, well, guess what? Nobody's having the best hour of their day. Like they're just complaining and are miserable in turn, making me miserable at which point I'll complain. And it's this weird selfless, self-licking ice cream cone of misery where everybody just facilitates each other's misery. And what we have to do is we have to identify who that is and what we want out of it, which seems a little selfish. And that's the weird part about kind of going through this whole process is it does seem somewhat self-serving, but if we recognize that building something that I enjoy doing that fulfills me actually makes me more benevolent in nature, right? I want to give more of my time. I want to help people more. I want to create more opportunity for people. And that is the goal. Like, you, you know, for, to get all, I guess, kind of like philosophical and you, like you can't pour from a cup that's empty. Love it. I love it. And I think if, if people are listening, they need to start considering this, especially the box owners, but even, even the coaches, you need to start thinking about the demographic of the people you're coaching. And this could be something that potentially causes you to think about where you want to coach or talk to your box owner, talk to the affiliate owner about, Hey, let's, let's discuss this. And of course, Fern, you and I had that announcement on the last episode. So mm -hmm. this is all part of it. Yeah. And this is kind of step one of that whole process. So 
Uh, more information to follow. We'll be kind of pulling the curtain back on this stuff a little bit more and really kind of giving you guys the, the goods on, um, you know, what I think is going to be super exciting. It is for us. And uh, I think it is going to be for everybody else too. So hit us up again, best hour of their day at gmail.com. If you want to be added to the list again, like we said, it's not an idea to, to have this scarce mentality, but we are limiting it for two reasons, three reasons. A, we want to devote a ton of time to each of you. We want to enjoy it. So we don't want to bombard our, ourselves. And, and we just really want to make sure that we're, over delivering so hit us up in an email best hour of their day at gmail.com put something in the subject line i'm interested wait for a response from from us thanks again for listening to best hour of their day if you haven't already do us a favor head over to the apple podcast app and leave us a review we'd love to hear from you if you have any questions comments concerns feedback for either Fern or myself, hit us up, best hour of their day at gmail.com or send us a DM over on Instagram at best hour of their day. Once again, we couldn't do this without the amazing community, and you are a part of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Best hour of their day.